The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 12th Doctor story, Mummy on the Orient Express, or as I like to call it, Throw the Mummy from the Train. Oh. <laughs> I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel is Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. Good dad joke. How's it going, Dom? <laughs> Very good. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Jimmy can't join us this week, but uh, he'll be back next time. Uh, folks, be sure to get your very own Secrets of Doctor Who t-shirt or phone case or mug or whatever with great caricatures of the three of us and the TARDIS by visiting sqpn.com slash merch, M-E-R-C-H. Uh, yeah, there's some great stuff, swag there you can pick up, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I want to tell you about another show on the network that you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Star Trek, which the three of us also do, mm -hmm. and you want to check that out wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Trek. But this time we are discussing Mummy on the Orient Express, this 12th Doctor story. And uh, Father Corey, are you able to do a recap for us this week? I can do a recap. Awesome. The Doctor takes Clara for one last fling, I mean one last trip, on the Space Orient Express, a spaceship that looks, sounds, and smokes like a classic luxury steam train. They barely have time to settle in before people start dying from the foretold, a mysterious mummy that appears to, only to its victim for 66 seconds before they die. Of course, not everything is as it seems, and Gus, the train's computer, reveals that the passengers have been gathered to learn how to detect and capture the mummy. The doctor figures out that the mummy is choosing its victims by going after the weakest first. He tricks the mummy into choosing him so he can figure out the mummy is actually a soldier viewing his victims as enemy combatants. At the last second, the doctor surrenders to the mummy, which then salutes and disintegrates into a pile of cloth and dust. Gus is displeased that the mummy wasn't captured, so he tries to kill the remaining passengers. The doctor, however, is able to use the mummy soldier's transporter to move everyone into the TARDIS and escape to safety. At the end, Clara lies to Danny Pink, and decides to continue traveling with the doctor. And as Jimmy says, the end. The end. Okay. So uh, this is our second time talking about this. We talked about this one when it first aired, oh, low these many years ago. Yeah. Uh, eight, eight, ten, eight years ago, uh, I think it is now. Yeah, 2014. 2014, yep. <laughs> so uh, revisiting this was a, was, was a, a fun, you know, having... Yeah seen this one before talked about once once before revisiting it is is fun and um just to start off this picks up a plot thread from the i think it was the 11th doctor story the big bang mm -hmm. where he mentions oh he got a call uh, about an egyptian goddess loose on the orient express in space yeah and uh which this is not an egyptian goddess that's a bit of mis misdirect uh, there but um it's interesting. Was that? Do you think it was planned that way, or is it? Or did they just kind of say, "Hey, that was an interesting little thread. Let's let's go back to that." I I, I wonder if it, it was originally a uh, just that was one of those. Oh, the doctor and Clara went off to another adventure. Or doctor and whoever 
I can't even remember who his companion was. It Amy and Rory time? at the time. Amy and Rory. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Amy and Rory go off to another adventure. You know, and of course, we'll probably hear about it someday in Big Finish type of deal. And yeah. instead, and then, the, of course, now they're in the 12th Doctor. And it's like, hey, you remember that plot thread we had? Let's let's pick that one up. And this time, instead, they'll ha- instead of being an Egyptian goddess, it's a mummy. And instead of being Amy and Rory, it's Clara. Right, right. Yeah, that yeah, that's I, that's my guess is what they were doing here. Um, and it's I mean, it's a fun premise. The idea mm-hmm. of, OK, it's the Orient Express, but not everybody's dressed up. Um, and so you, what you're getting is basically an Agatha Christie crossover sort of story, you know, right. where, uh, you know, the instead of being um, Hercule Poirot, it's the doctor and all of this that that entails. And so uh, I, I kind of like this one. This has always been a fun one to me a little bit, you yeah. know, because there's some there's some there's some good plot in it, some interesting, um, you know, whodunit mystery sort of stuff. So I, I kind of enjoy that part of it. And I, um, I, I, I enjoy it, too. And. Not so much for the Who Done It, although I, I kind of enjoy that as well once in a while. I'm, I'm, I'm very much a trained geek, as I, you know, if you've listened to Secrets oh, Attack, yeah. I've mentioned that before. And so, despite the silliness of a train that looks like a train, it smokes like a train, it sounds like <laughs> a train, the interior looks like a classic, you know, luxury liner train, it's still kind of cool. You know, this, yeah. this train <laughs> snaking through space, blowing its horn, and it's just like, okay, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, like Jimmy likes to say, it's like a like fairy tale in space. You know, it's, it's yeah. It, it the plausibility is a bit out there, but okay, let's go with it. But it, it's um, Doctor Who, and you know, no, we like to call Doctor Who sci-fi, but it really is science fantasy. I mean, it it is Doctor Who is very much science fantasy, and this just kind of plays into that and does it. I think well. I think it really did well. I wonder though, could they have done it as a historical, like on the Orient? The if they had tried to do it on Earth on the Orient Express. Some of the bits might not have worked as well. I mean, they would have right. had to make it in an Egyptian mummy, uh, maybe an alien, you know, thing. And I, I, I don't think it would have to change all that much. Yeah, you know, obviously, like the uh, the kitchen staff being spaced, that you couldn't do. But maybe there could have been something where, you know, somehow the the, the computer, which would be anachronistic for the time, yeah. Ejected, ejected them, them from the, the cargo. Train. Yeah, ejected yeah, them from, yeah. the, you know, over over a cliff or something, you know, over a bridge or something, you know, something like that. Right, right. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just, uh, I mean, I, not that it, it it was bad for not being that, but I just kind of feel like there were times when you could do it more as a historical. You know, uh, I'm, I'm always on the historicals thing. So oh, yeah. I just kind of feel like it would, it, it, you could have done it that way, but they did it this way and that's fine. But it was still fun. The, I mean, it really still was, was fun what it ended up being. Yeah. So uh there there is a kind of a trope. The there's a classic uh the 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 series of victims and whatever it is, the horror, the monster, whatever, coming for them one at a time, mm-hmm. the implacable enemy that can't be stopped. I mean we we've seen that so many times just in Doctor Who. Uh what was that one that Jimmy hates with the Minotaur in the hotel? Uh Oh, um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I I'm terrible with titles of episodes. Yeah. Well, but but yeah, me too. <laughs> But that one is also um, the, a similar story. You have each person is marked for death one at a time. There's no stopping it. I mean, it's it's really a, a, a version of that same story, but this one is done much better, of course, than that one. That one was, uh, oh. you know, it had had its major issues. And absolutely, and actually, one thing I, I I do like about this one is they explain why it's unstoppable. 
and because it's doing something before it even touches them, it changes. Right. You know, so they they basically reveal that the mummy is out of phase. You know, we know this from Star Trek too. You know, they go out of phase, and they can't see them, and it takes over a minute, sixty six seconds to be exact, to pull you out of phase with the mummy, so the mummy can then absorb your energy. Right. Although I have to say, there's a couple of problems with this. Is one, it pulls you out of phase, but everyone can still see you. So right. you're not technically maybe out of phase a little bit. You're, you're in between. You're in the in between the two phases. Yeah, I don't know. So there's that. Yeah, that that was a little bit of a of a plot hole. But also they brought up the fact that the mummy is taking the weak first, those mm-hmm. who have whether mental or physical issue, uh, health issues. Yep. But I don't think it ever explained why. Why was why would this soldier be going after the weak first? Because they're the easier targets. I'm guessing. Yes. I mean, Although, they really say it, but like yeah. in the summary, I said that he views them as enemy combatants, you know, because that's basically what it is. The fact the doctor surrenders to stop the mummy yeah, says, you know, you're no longer an enemy combatant because I've surrendered to you. Um, so it maybe says like these are the weaker of the enemy. It's easier to go after the weaker ones first. And I'm sure yes. there can be some, you know, in-universe explanation about the weaker ones. They're easier to drain their energy or pull them out of the phase or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Although they just they never do tie that, you know, tie that up or close that loop. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that's there could there could be explanations for that. Um, and then uh, there was the other thing was the um, just the, uh, the that whole idea of surrender is the one thing no one ever would thinks to do in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you, people try to bargain with it. And in fact, that one professor who dies tries to bargain with it, but no one ever thinks to surrender to it and that's yes. the one thing that's that saves you exactly uh, exactly and it, and it is interesting that it, it turns out to be a soldier that's surrendering to it is what stops it right right and and the reason it's coming is because you have its flag the standard the mm-hmm. you know that it's trying to recover that it thinks yep. that you've you've taken and then it's trying to recover it so yeah um yeah the surrender yeah I was just thinking of, you know, kind of extending like the metaphor, the surrender metaphor to the spiritual life, but that's probably a stretch. That would but, be a little bit know. of a stretch in this one. <laughs> <laughs> so it all starts out with the doctor saying that he thinks this is a good choice of a last adventure with Clara. Uh, and then later on, he implies or outright says that he knew coming to the, this train that he was this that this wasn't just a let's take a train ride and have some have some laughs and have some fun that he knew that this was going to be a, you know, life-threatening adventure. Mm-hmm. And do you think that was intentional on the doctor's part in, in part to remind Clara of why she wants to travel with him to kind of get, win her back? Yeah. I hate to because say it, but does. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I hate to say it. I, I think it was the doctor being manipulative of, of Clara and yeah, it, it, of course, you know, that's what the doctor does. The doctor, you know, I hate to say it. He can be very manipulative sometimes. And this was definitely one of them. And she rightfully lets him have it for it. I mean, yeah, because mm-hmm. he knew, again, we talked about it going all the way back to the 11th Doctor, that he knew that this was more than just, hey, let's go hang out on a space train and eat and drink and be merry. Right. He, you know, he'd been invited several times to, to, to be on this train to, by Gus to solve the, the mystery. Uh, and, and at the end, like he, ba- he comes right out and tells Clara that he, she's addicted to the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. And he's feeding that addiction. You know, he's intentionally trying to you know and and that 
that seems to be a thing among some companions, isn't it? That they get, especially in the modern era, the newer era, yes. they they kind of get addicted to traveling on the on the TARDIS, and when they he leaves them behind, uh, they have they go through a kind of withdrawal for some of them, yeah, yeah. Um, and seek an adventure. I mean, that was the way it was with uh, Mickey and with um, Martha. The one I can, Martha, I can never remember her name. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Rose. Uh, well, Rose was more by necessity than she should yeah. have to start fighting me by necessity. Um, even, Donna had to be mind wiped. Yep. So yeah. Um, of course, Amy uh, and Rory, even though they spent time off the TARDIS, you know, it, you could tell that they wanted to be on the TARDIS instead of. Yep. Even like Sarah Jane, which who we saw in the uh, the the vampire bat one. That's you know the the bat school, school reunion. School reunion. That's right. Uh, you know, it turns out that ever since the fourth Doctor left her behind, she's been you know out on her own doing things. You know, the Sarah Jane Adventure Show and yep. all that sort of stuff, and that. She's been trying to do doctory stuff. And we keep seeing that with other companions. In fact, it was the mm-hmm. novel that Sophie Allred wrote about Ace right. continuing on to do the companion sort of stuff uh, over the years. And, and so, I have a feeling, you know, with the, the upcoming special, uh, the regeneration special, the 13th Doctor, we're going to see that as well. I'm sure it's going to be come up with both Tegan and Ace because they're both going to be in there, that they've right. both been kind of working behind the scenes doing that kind of stuff. Right. And speaking of 13th Doctor, Yaz was another example of someone mm-hmm. who's kind of become addicted. Although there's the whole other romantic thing yeah. that they added into. Yeah, so not, that not worth mentioning. Well. But yeah, yeah it, it's, it, that, is, that is a theme that they, they've really developed in New Who, that these companions get, uh, like I said, addicted. I mean, addicted is really the word. They're addicted to the adventure. They're addicted to the, you know, the excitement, the, you know, and they don't want to let it go. And that's something you really didn't see a lot in classic Who. You know, of course, we've talked about right. before. There have been times the companions just got dropped off, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. You know, never saw them again. Um, yeah. But you really didn't see them. You know, fighting that. Do I really want to stay? Do I not want to stay? Yeah, like we just talked about uh, a few weeks ago, the uh, the chase. Yep. And with you, know, the first Doctor and Ian and Barbara, the first opportunity to go home, they took it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Doctor was kind of offended, but they're like, "No, we're we're going home. It's been two years. We're we're done. We we you know." We never intended to stay in the first yeah. place. You kidnapped us, which they don't say, but that's what and, happened. And, and they did enjoy the adventure. I mean, they did say that they enjoyed the adventures, yeah. but it's like, we've got an opportunity to go home and you can help us do it. Right. And, and I wonder though, you know, does the doctor pick his companions based on people who are likely to be the, the sort who enjoy death defying adventures? Because that's what it is. Like, I, I mean, I mm-hmm. look at it going, I wouldn't mind taking a trip on the TARDIS, but I don't want to go risking my life on a regular yeah. basis. That would not be fun to me. <laughs> yeah, that's that doesn't sound like you know aliens trying to kill me on a regular basis and barely escaping. Because you know we look at it, it's a TV show. Of course they're going to mm-hmm. survive to the next episode. But you know from in, from inside the story, they don't know they're going to survive, and so that just seems like a like. So maybe he's picking people who are likely to get it. To, this is a very dark turn toward the doc to the doctor here that we're taking. Yeah. Well, and, and again, this is this is something that's been developed much more in New Who, where it is there's almost kind of a mystical sense of the Doctor of who should be his companion and who shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's it's very it's very possible that it is very much like that. In fact, we get a a companion offer in this one that doesn't get picked up, right? Yep. The uh, yep. the engineer Perkins. The doctor kind of he kind of hints at the doctor that you know he's interested in the TARDIS and the things that you know the sorts of things that can be done, and the doctor hints back at him that maybe you you know you, you do you know anyone who'd like to take a crack at fixing the TARDIS and Perkins 
thinks twice about it and decides not yeah. to. But I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Which I would like a lot that. of those. Yeah, I would have liked that if if that had happened, where um, he you know slowly the TARDIS starts getting better, starts getting <laughs> fixed. Every right. episode, <laughs> something else starts working better, and then one day that the would... chameleon circuit works, and the Doctor says, "No, break that again." You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or it's fixed, but he still wants it to look like a like a like a uh, a police, police box. box. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was uh yeah Perkins was played by we talked about this before um Frank Skinner who is mm-hmm. a, a known uh, actor and comedian in British TV. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he's sort of, this was sort of a, I think Jimmy calls it stunt casting. Yeah. You know, the, the, this, this uh, more famous person, was, although American audiences probably aren't yeah. as familiar. But he looked familiar, but he, he was, he was a fun character. I, I liked him. Yeah. Yeah. I he could, could like, kind of talk on the doctor's level a little bit, at least, you know, with the technology and everything. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's more than the usual background uh, cannon fodder that we have in these episodes he sort of had he he had the doctor's ear and they had a you know a rapport and yeah, uh, yeah i kind of like that and, and I, I do think it would have been fun to see someone like that on the tardis who is the you know on the doctor's technological level who could actually make the tardis better i think that would that's a fun idea yeah. i think yeah. for well, it was fun too because he was dressed in you know classic railroad overalls and cap. I mean, he <laughs> yeah. was he looked about as blue collar, salt of the earth, just you know work, keep the train running type person. And it turns out he's you know brilliant. Yeah, he's a he's a you know he's a Scotty chief engineer sort. So yeah, yeah. exactly. So you know, going back to the the doctor and Clara's last hurrah they have this conversation as they arrive where the doctor's kind of avoiding, he doesn't really want to talk about it, but Clara does. I mean, mm-hmm. he keeps pointing out she's, she has that sad smile, the, which yeah. is a, which is a nice little bit that they do because that is true. Like people get this sad smile, like, Oh, it's the last time, you know, or and remembrances and you know, yeah, exactly. And she kind of tells him like, look, I don't hate you anymore. I, I, you know, I, I, I did <laughs> at the end of the last episode, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't hate you anymore. And she's, and she has this quote that she picks up from somewhere. Uh, Hatred is too strong an emotion to waste on someone that you don't like. In other words, it's, it's that old classic um, hatred. You don't hate people. You don't care anything about you. You, and you hate people that you have a, you know, passionate, a reaction to, uh, so to speak. Um, not necessarily passion in that sense, but like I don't a, know. I think that's a little little trite, but <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, because there are you know there are people who are hated who you know you don't love. But, exactly. Uh, but in the sense of you know, when just like in personal experience, there have been times where I've been been you know breaking up out of a relationship, and you know. You were in love, and now you just can't stand to be in the same room with that other person. And there's a there's a reason for that that's related to you know that's like it's it's the equal and opposite reaction. I yeah. guess I don't know. It's kind of weird, um, but in any sense, uh, she's kind of saying she doesn't actually hate the doctor. So I'm not sure why that she brings it up. Then you know, well, because um, she's trying to say basically I've gotten over you. Yeah, you know, and that, that's what it is. Because again, this was when she was still thinking this was the last trip. This was the last hurrah, and so she's like, "No, I'm just do this. I'm just with you to do this last trip, and then we're done." And you know, again, it's it's the it's the breaking up where I've fallen out of love with you type of thing. But 
but there's that hint of she's not, she says, you know, she says she's ready to leave him, but there's a hint that she's still, you know, get this attachment, which, because at one point she says, I assume the doctors, you know, you'll come in for dinner occasionally after we're done. Yeah. And, and he's like, oh, is that a thing? Like, <laughs> she's like, well, you, you know, you think, and we know he doesn't do that. Like the doctor yeah. doesn't go back and visit old companions. No, it's, it's not like once they're done out of the TARDIS, they are, they're out of his life. And that that's definitely sounds like that awkward, you know, we're breaking up, but I still kind of like you, but we just, we really can't be in a relationship anymore like that. But I still yeah. want to see let's, you once in a while. That kind of conversation. Friends. Yeah. Let's yeah. be friends, yeah. which never works. You, you <laughs> Usually can't be, never you works. You can't be friends with the next. Yeah. <laughs> it, but it also raises the question because this, this happens at the end of the episode is, is Clara leaving the doctor more because of Danny pushing her? Because at the end, she basically lies to both Danny and the doctor, as you yep. mentioned, you know, that she tells Danny uh, that she's left the doctor in the TARDIS and then lies to the doctor and says that Danny's OK. It's his idea that um, that she stays with him, yeah. that he's OK with it now. That's, that's very much that addictive personality, though, isn't it? I mean, you know, that's the yes. I can quit at any time type of thing. You know, yes. where it's like, oh, yes, I can. I can keep doing this. It'll be fine. No one needs to know. Right. And you start lying to the people in your life about it. Yeah. Yep. But I I kind of feel like Danny is is the reason she's quitting. And I, I think she at least again in the previous episode, she had gotten so. Out you know beyond her comfort zone, I mean, got pushed yeah. so far that she was serious about quitting at that time. But then, of course, they go on the last trip. And I would say even at the beginning of this episode, she was serious about quitting. But by the end, of course, it's that energy, that excitement, that adrenaline kicked in. It's like, no, no, I want to keep more of this. I like this. Right. I want the the. I guess what I'm getting at is it, she was re- she was really mad at the end of Kill the Moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we all should have been. But um, yeah. <laughs> but I wonder without Danny, would she have just gotten over it on her own and not have resolved to leave the TARDIS? I feel I, like. I, yeah. He was pushing her. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. If pu- I think pushing is too strong. I think, you know, encouraging, you know, something more like encouraging or trying to help her, you know, because he, he, as he said yeah. several times, he's been in that situation where just push too far and just has to, you know, walk away and be done with it. Well, I mean, it turns he out needs- Danny was right, wasn't he? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. She, she, she gets killed and then. And then put in un- yeah, last undead. heartbeat. Time lock, yeah. something, becomes a whatever. Zombie of some sort. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. So he wasn't wrong. This also, you know, r- r- reminds me of why I hate what they did. Like the, what they end up doing with Danny is incomprehensible because mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense. He's, the, he's a great character scheme. that should have been a part of much more. But yeah, well, they they seem to be building something. And then I don't know. Did the did the actor decide to leave? Did they decide that he they couldn't work with him? I You know, it just. It was a very strange, abrupt end, but we'll talk about that when we'll we get to that We'll talk about when we episode. get there. Yeah. So, uh, talking about the mummy, it's called the four-toed. I guess it only has four toes. Just kidding. Yeah, it's the yeah. four-toed. <laughs> the four-toed. Uh, there's a myth of this mummy that if you see it, you're a dead man. You know, the whole, the, the, uh, yep. there's, there's other sorts of those stories out there. Um, and, you know, you, you're, the clock starts ticking, 66 seconds. So, you have the old lady who's the first to die. You know, and, you know, everyone assumes, oh, she was an old lady. She's 100 years old. Of course, you know, old people die. Yep. That's what the doctor says. 
the second to die is the chef named Stumpy, which a chef named Stumpy has a story. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I think I think the, the Stumpy had a misfire with a, uh, a knife at one point, <laughs> so, knife or saw or something. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, now, now the the uh, chief security officer or something on board the the guy who's basically nominally in like charge. He was a conductor, I think. You know, kind of like what okay. we would call the conductor here in the United States. I don't. I, I think they use the same term in England, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if it was a spaceship, he'd be the captain, I suppose. Um, his name is Quell, and the doctor confronts him because he he basically you know calls him out, says, uh, "Look, you're a a, a a a war veteran who is shell shocked or something like that, and you mm-hmm. sought a cushy job where you didn't have to do anything too dangerous or be confronted with anything." And now you're, you know, you wanted a cushy job until you could retire. And, but now you've been confronted with this situation and you're afraid to look into it. And, uh, of course, Quell, which is a, a great name yes. for this sort of guy, yep. uh, cause it sounds like Quail, uh, he, he rejects that at first. Uh, but then we'll later on admit to the doctor, no, you're right. This is, this was what it was doing. And, and, uh, the doctor kind of says to him at one point, how many deaths is it going to take for you to stop looking the other way? And and it, uh, later on, after the third person dies, Quell says three. Yeah, <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm 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 there. Um. So, uh. So we yeah. I mentioned Perkins, and then Clara. Meanwhile, while the doctor's running about, uh, Clara meanwhile gets stuck in the baggage car with Maisie, who is the granddaughter of the old lady who first died in the you know the first and uh they're stuck there with with her body is in there but that's not what what the, what the main thing there's a sarcophagus in there mm-hmm. and apparently the sarcophagus was put there by gus who we initially know as the trains ai computer uh but it's supposed to be the mummy the mummy once they've subdued the mummy they're supposed to put him in it yep I it's kind of like a stasis pod or something like that for the mummy uh trap which is filled with bubble wrap, by the way. They made yes. sure to emphasize that it had bubble wrap. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now, while they're in there, Claire and Maisie have is a couple of interesting conversations, in, including about why Clara's leaving the doctor and how she really. Maisie tells her, "You you really look like someone. You don't look like someone who's done with him yet." And there's always these. It's always couched in these uh terms like you would talk about a romantic interest mm-hmm. but there's clearly not a romantic interest between the doctor and clara now the 12th doctor and clara nope. which i think is good i'm glad that we're not doing the doctor's my boyfriend with the 12th doctor and clara uh because it makes for a more interesting story and it removes some things that would be more confusing anyway yeah um, exactly so, so that's good we've already done that with amy and rory in the 11th doctor we don't need to do that again. Well, even, we even started to have it with clara on the 11th doctor you know, and then they right. had the, the first couple episodes, they had to kind of work through that, you know, and that, that kind of shows the risk of that is when you do have these kind of changes, you've got to deal with the consequences of those changes if you're going to be consistent. Right. Well, and especially like with Danny being in the picture, we'd have we'd be back to having that triangle again, which yep. they, we've done. We've done. We don't need to do it again. Um, in fact, they kind of keep doing these on and off things like so Rose and the Ninth Doctor. Uh, We're kind of have they. Yeah, they didn't really have one, but the Rose and the Tenth Doctor clearly did. Then Martha and the Tenth Doctor clearly had a, or at least Martha did. Mm-hmm. Um, Martha then, was pining for him, that's for sure. Right. Then you have Donna. There's, as they often told no. us, 
<laughs> There's nothing there. Uh, and then we have boy, space boy. That ain't happening. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have. Uh, I can't wait to see them on screen again. By the way, that's going to be great. Yes. Uh, in the sixtieth. Um, then we have. Uh, you know, uh, Amy and the Eleventh Doctor, and Amy and Rory and the Eleventh Doctor, and then the Eleventh Doctor and Clara. Those romantic notions like so with amy there's initially a romantic notion then there isn't then clara there is and then there is so there's been this off on and even with the 13th doctor they decided to do this with with yaz and it's like i just would love to have go back to just being the doctrine companions and take out the have they can have interpersonal relationships just not have it be a romantic one why does it always yeah. be a romantic one well there's, and there's so. i mean there's some companions that were very close to the doctor and it wasn't romantic you, know, you can think of jamie and the second doctor you can think yeah. of sarah jane and both the third and fourth doctors you know right. became very close but they weren't right. romantic they weren't you know they were just very very good friends you know almost family traveling through yeah. space and time and you know the sixth doctor and perry oh sorry no never mind oh no no no, no. <laughs> he, he nearly strangled her for, for the up, yeah i was gonna say for the uproar of that one i i think they the sixth doctor had it right. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh uh, yeah. So all the passengers, the, that aren't holograms, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, are experts in fields that should help them solve the mystery. The doctor figures this out. And that's when we get the reveal that the computer Gus is behind all of this. He's brought them all together and he's, he's forcing them to figure out how to uh, reverse engineer the mummy's abilities. Because mm -hmm. it would be a powerful weapon, of course. Um, and one of the interesting things about Gus, which dis despite um, the implacably pleasant voice, which is a lot oh, of fun. Yes. Just call um, me Gus. Yeah. Just call me Gus. Uh, they, we never get a reveal of who Gus is. Who is behind all this? It's mm -mm. never been, they've never revisited this Gus, this thread. It's just been left as this. It felt like they were building up this new big baddie that the Doctor would encounter occasionally, but we never came back to it, which is interesting. And I wonder if they were uh, originally thinking of doing something with that, because, you know, would it be that is Gus is like this own this artificial intelligence that's able to do his own thing? Or is it, uh, you know, that set this all up by himself? Or is it you know, there is somebody behind Gus that Gus was programmed by someone to do all this and they really don't ever explore that i mean it, of course then again you know maybe that's something that will be picked up by russell t davies with the 14th yeah. doctor at some point that's true that's true that, or i mean it, it's, it's out there they can, <laughs> yeah they can always come back to it it's always big finish uh you know it's interesting is this is the missy season you know where missy is in the background orchestrating yep. things uh i i would have thought that this would have been something that she had been setting up this you know Gus, but they didn't go there. It's not the. Nope. It's not Missy. No, it's never mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, just going to go into the next thing. When Clara uh, gets out of the baggage, you know, the baggage claim, the baggage hold. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, she goes running by instead of going into the TARDIS with Maisie because Maisie's the next one. They figured out that she's the next target, yep. um, and so they're trying to get to the Doctor. He, you know, he wants her to come in. There and uh, they go running by the TARDIS. They don't go in the TARDIS. I wonder if the TARDIS, because it's a force field up. Yeah. So I wonder if the TARDIS would have been a protective zone where they could, like, where the the mummy could not have gotten in there. I th I, th I think so because that, that force shield was put up by Gus. Gus, yeah. Because you know, 
because it shows her where she just kind of subtly as she walks by, she leans and you can see the ripples of the force field. She does that a couple of times and then goes out following Maisie. Yeah. So yeah. she tried to get into the TARDIS, but couldn't because uh, the force shield was keeping her out. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it would have would have kept the because it would have been a different place than where the flag was. Mm. The TARDIS, you know, although it was in the, the baggage hold, the baggage car, it was a di- you know, it's in a different, you know, trans dimension and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so it would have broken the the, you know, the curse of the, you know, the mm-hmm. whoever's targeted always dies. So we get this misdirection where the doctor is appearing to be heartless toward everyone who's dying. Like as soon as they're targeted, he's telling them, you know, yeah, tell me what you see. Give us as much data as possible. Yeah. Okay. So you can save me. Oh no, you're dead. You know, this, <laughs> the, yeah. so you know, make your death count, uh, which is seems heartless. And then especially with Maisie, he has Clara lie to her to get her to come to, you know, that he, the doctor can mm-hmm. help you to come to the, the, the car where he's at the, the lab now. Um, and but, Clara's but is curious it a lie? at first, is but, it, a but lie? it turns out it's not, it turns out he's not lying because he's trying to trick Gus. He's got a plan Yep. and he does this thing. And this is, this is, I think why they introduced the idea of why, uh, how the, the mummy picks its targets. It's ba- based on a weakness. And so he brings Maisie because she has a psychological illness of some sort that he sucks out of her brain with the screwdriver and implants in his own, which the screwdriver yep. at first doesn't work because it's a suppression field, but now it apparently does. Well, it wasn't It wasn't the screwdriver. It was a sensor. It was a scanner. He oh, reprograms one of the right. scanners from the, the, the train to do right. that. That's true. That's true. Okay, so that that's not a plot hole. Uh, but so he, but he sucks the her emotions and memories out of her head uh, and into his own. Apparently, sure, sure. Like or, you know, we, you know, <laughs> kind, of, kind of like you know, putting a false trail or something like that, or you know, yeah, like you know, if animal pheromones to you know to attract the predator. Yeah, sure, exactly. Um, but what it, the effect is is he is you know uh, potentially sacrificing himself in order to save. Uh, Maisie. So it turns out he's not being the heartless, cruel monster that Clara, you know, oh, there he is again. He's not doing that this time. Um, but he has deduced that it's a soldier who's been filled with so much tech that has kept it alive all this time, but the tech is malfunctioning. And so, as as you said, the doctor stops him by surrendering, and nobody ever thought to do that. So um, that's the one thing. Uh, but Gus doesn't like that because he doesn't get the... Uh, that the mummy that he wanted, the you know, the technology, the reverse engineered technology from the mummy. So he starts destroying the train. He's going to kill everybody on it. Uh, but then we get this sort of leap where, you know, time's run out for this episode. So we need to, you yep. know, kind of leap to the end. And the doctor will just tell us that he saved everyone in the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he brought everybody aboard and dropped them all off at that city over there. And he let Clara sleep uh, while he's drawing in the sand and like, I'm just curious. What's he drawing in the sand? It's like it's like Jesus with the adulterous woman, where he's drawing in the dirt, and you don't know what are. he actually wrote. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's he's drawing something. Yeah, is he um, just drawing or is he just doodling? You know, um, and in the right, city, right. the city remind me of what new, 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 whatever. York, how many times York that the eleventh or tenth doctor went to twice? It reminded me right. of that. Right, right, right. Where the face of Bo was, yep. which it could have been like because we the, don't in the, we don't find out when this is so. Yeah. yeah, and the cat cat nuns and all that. But yeah, it's it looked like it was almost the same spot except for there was a building in the front, which probably means they used the same 
you know, matte painting or whatever they, you know, use for the background and change it up a little bit. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, as he explains to Clara what he did and why he did, you know, did it and the, the deception that he had to engage in, um, he has this line that he says is sometimes the only choices you have are bad ones, but you still have to choose. And I think that's a very interesting moral conundrum that maybe we could talk about for a, a couple of minutes, which is this idea that, you know, if it, what if you are in a situation, you know, it's sort of the trolley problem. You only mm-hmm. have bad choices. So how do you choose? How do you make a how do you make a choice from among bad options? Uh, right. It, it, it's a tricky thing. I mean, and I'm not sure that there's a, a set answer that you can give. No, there isn't. You know, and you talk about. Morality, especially again from a Catholic perspective, you know, we we would say that if you know, assuming that you don't have the choice to just not choose, just not pick right. one, you know, like the, the the answer to the trolley problem from a Catholic perspective is you don't make the choice. You just you are not responsible for what happens if you know you don't make the choice to go near the switch, basically, right in the first place. And and of course, that's not a very satisfying answer because you know that means that people will die, regardless, right. and. You can, you know, assuming you don't have that option, you know, the planes are going to crash or you do this instead. You do something else instead. It's either way. It's, you know, you have to make that choice. You have to basically decide what is the least participation in evil, you know, right. You know, it's, 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 there's difficult, very difficult situations. You know, the issue of war is one of those where, you know, do you choose that, like that, you know, the Nazis are going to take over Europe or you engage in war. Both are right. evils, but was war the lesser evil? It was because it saved many more lives in the long, yeah. you know? And so, I mean, that, that's, it's a very simplistic v- reading of world war two, but it's still uh, things like that where you have to, you have to discern what is the least participation evil. And sometimes it is just saying, I can't make this choice. I cannot be involved in this at all. And I know people are going to die, but I still cannot be involved. Right. I mean, there are choices like um, shoot the, the the bad soldier, you know, who's going right. to slaughter these kids. Uh, so shoot him and kill him to save the kids. So if I kill him, these kids will live. If I don't kill him, they'll die. You know, that sort of choice is, yeah, that mm-hmm. to shoot him is, is an evil, but it's self-defense. It's yep. defense of the innocent. Um, so that sort of thing is easier to, to come up with. Right. Um, but yeah, like even in this one where the doctor is, he's, he has to let Quell die. Like he could have taken, he could have done what he did to Maisie to Quell or to the other con- assistant conductor or to Stumpy mm-hmm. or, well, I don't think he knew Stumpy was going to die or the old lady. He wasn't present for either of those. Nope. But the other ones, uh, you know, he could have done that at the time you know, or the, the professor. I think I mentioned the professor. He could have done yep. it for them, but he didn't because he, he didn't know enough at the time to have it make a difference. Right. And I, I think that's what he's saying here is, is the, it was, I had bad choices to choose from. I could save them and sacrifice myself, but then everyone would have eventually died anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that it's, it's an interesting uh, moral conundrum to think about, um, to, to look at uh, and hope that we, none of us ever end up <laughs> having to make exactly. that choice. So, uh, and so, as we mentioned, Clara at the end, you know, lies to both the doctor and to Danny and agrees to keep traveling. Is Does that seem too pat? Does it seem like, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we are, 
it was a it was a mean trick on the audience that Clara might stop traveling with the doctor. Uh, but now we've cut this little wrap it up at the end, and oh, you know, she's kind of forgotten all about all all the reasons she was mad and is back with the doctor again. Does that seem too pat to you? I did. It did. Yeah. It it seemed too much of a no. We don't we we don't want to actually get rid of her in the. You can tell they were trying to build up to that throughout the episode, but then the way it happened at the end, where she's like, "No, I'm leaving. You know, I'll I'll be home soon. You know, I'll come. We'll, we'll meet up soon." And then as soon as she hits the off button, she stops and turns around. Let's go. And just like yeah. excited and let's go. Let's go have fun again. Let's go do another, you know, death defying adventure. It's right. just like, ah, that. And I mean, you could play into the, you could call it the addictive personality too, though, where, you know, at that moment she succumbed to this, the, the addiction again, the temptation, the addiction again, but still. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It does feel it. There, are, the, the Moffat era. I, I, there are so many stories and so many characters I really enjoy, but he does have this habit of taking you to the brink and pulling back. Yep. You know, the character's going to die, but then really doesn't, or the character does die, but then undoes it. You know that just no. As I always say, no one ever dies with Stephen Moffat. <laughs> no one's ever really dead. Yeah, and uh, he's he's not very good at endings, landing the plane, so to speak. Yeah, you, know, you can tell a great story. But that final, let's get it down and we're done and close it out nicely. He's not very good at that. Not if there are consequences. Not if there are consequences or bad consequences for his characters. Exactly. He just, he just doesn't like to kill off characters. I mean, it's just a, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a clear, you know, pattern for him. So, uh, any last thoughts on Mummy from the tra- uh, throw, uh, throw Mummy from the Train or the Mummy on the Orient Express? Yeah, no, I, I enjoy. I mean, I did enjoy this. It, it was, it was a fun episode. I uh, got a kick out of when they, when Clara and the doctor first walked into the, the dining car, the, the lounge car there, uh, mm-hmm. the lady was singing Don't Stop Me Now by Queen, of course, in a 20s style music, right. which is kind of right. funny. Um, I love the, I've always loved the, the 1920s costumes and 1920s outfits. I've always thought they looked so cool. Uh, yeah. They look good. And, and it was, it was so cool to see, you know, everybody wearing the nice suits and the, the 20s style dresses and everything. That was that was kind of fun. I got a kick out yeah. of the doctor pulling out his cigarette case and had jelly babies <laughs> yes, instead of cigarettes did. and offers one to the, the, the professor and he takes yep. and eats it. That was, that was kind of, kind of a nice little callback. Um, yes. Yeah. I just, I, I, I enjoyed it. This, like I said, this was a good one. I really did enjoy this one. I, I have to say Clara did look cute in her flapper dress. I mean, yeah, was, she did. Was a, yeah, she, she did. did look really good in that. <laughs> uh, so the, uh, the singer, uh, the, who they focused on pretty good. It was, uh, the stage name is known as Foxes or mm. Louisa Rose Allen. Uh, okay. So she was a singer. And then uh, she was heard again. They did another uh, song with her again in the upcoming story, Hellbent. Oh, cool. Heaven Sent and Hellbent. And so she was in Hellbent. Uh, but uh, she's, I guess she's a Grammy-winning recording artist. in, in I, I, think, I think I've heard of her, but that doesn't say much. <laughs> yeah. I, I liked that jazzy version of don't stop me now that was really yeah, good it, it, it was, was nice it was, it was nice awesome all right i think that should do it for us this time we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of dr who including kevin e greg w arlea s david r and tori their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of dr who and all the shows at StarQuest, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. 
This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest. I need to ask for your help, but first, I want to thank you for listening to StarQuest and supporting our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture. We've added nine new shows since 2019, including, most recently, The Secrets of Middle-Earth, just in time for the new Amazon streaming series. And we have plans to add even more, but the network needs additional resources. We need to bring on more audio editors, video editors, and production equipment, including video equipment for Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and new shows we have in the planning stages. If you value this show and the other great shows on StarQuest, we need to hear from you now. If you're not yet one of our monthly patrons, please become one. And if you're already a patron, please consider increasing your monthly donation. There are many special patron benefits we'd like to give you, and you can learn more about them by going to sqpn.com give and clicking become a patron. Your support at this time is crucial, so please go to sqpn.com give today. That's sqpn.com give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of Mummy on the Orient Express, this 12th Doctor story? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the fourth Doctor story, The Hand of Fear. Mm. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, are you my mummy? StarQuest wants to hear from you. We're conducting a survey of our audience. That's you, to help us in our planning for the future. Please take a moment and visit sqpn.com survey. We'll be selecting two participants to receive an Amazon gift card as an expression of our thanks. So visit sqpn.com survey today.